This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions and where we try to have compassionate and compelling conversations about challenging subjects. My name is Stephen Bradford Long. Today, I am speaking with Dr. David Lay. He is a wonderful, brilliant sex therapist and author of three books, Ethical Porn for Dicks, The Myth of Sex Addiction, and Insatiable Wives, Women Who Stray and the Men Who Love Them. He also holds a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which I think is super cool. Maybe we'll talk about that. Anyone who's been reading my Substack newsletter lately knows that I've been kind of returning to my roots uh, as a writer. I started out over a decade ago, going viral on the internet, writing about sex, especially uh, homosexuality. So I've kind of been returning to my roots, especially writing about sexuality, male sexuality in particular. And I think that this is an incredibly important subject. Uh, Half of the human population is male, and it's important that we talk about this fundamental human experience of sexuality. Uh, This show is called Sacred Tension for a reason. It is about exploring those challenging interstitial spaces, the places that make us uncomfortable, and sex is definitely one of those things. So, Dr. David Lay is one of the best resources that I have found on this subject. His work is wonderful and has been incredibly helpful for me in navigating my own sexuality. I just finished reading his book, Ethical Porn for Dicks. It is fabulous. It is awesome. I recommend everyone uh, who has any questions about porn to read it. The book has like this vibe of sitting in like a, a seedy bar drinking terrible overpriced liquor. And he's just sitting across from me at the bar just regaling me with sex facts. That That's the <laughs> that's the vibe of the book i highly recommend it so that's cool that's what i was going for i'm glad that came through that's awesome you know that i mean the origin of that book actually contributes to that because i um uh i had done a show with katie couric about pornography and you know your listeners can can see a video of this online on youtube one of the most painful experiences of my life and Mm. um katie um Katie is a self-described prude when it comes to to pornography and sexuality. And, you know, I'm on the show talking about science and research um, around pornography and really challenging some of the myths and, and kind of panic stuff she was putting out there. And she didn't want to hear it. And, and I left that show feeling like I had just gotten sandbagged. I mean, really. And, and, and I was at the hotel bar and I'm having, I, I order a bourbon and the, uh, the two male bartenders are like, dude, you okay? You look like a train just hit you, man. And I said, well, yeah, a train named Katie Couric. And I described the, <laughs> the, the thing, but then I ended up having this amazing conversation about pornography with these, with these two male bartenders and a couple of guys sitting at the bar. And we ended up having the conversation that you're describing right here. And, and I realized that, um, what I had to do better was talk about pornography in a way that was accessible and real life as opposed to, oh, here's what the research says. And, um, and so I went and I was working on ethical porn for dicks at the time and I went and rewrote it, um, to be more accessible in just that kind of way. And, and it sounds like, it sounds like it, it fell that way for you. I'm really happy. Yes, it totally did. And and I mean, it's just super accessible. You can read it in little chunks and it 
directly addresses so many of the things that stress so many guys out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and their spouses, spouses and girlfriends and so on, boyfriends, whatever. But yeah, no, I, I just loved it. So a big theme in your work is male sexuality. And, mm-hmm. and along those lines, you said something in a talk. This was several years ago. Uh, it's on YouTube. I think it was at Esther Perel's conference. Mm-hmm. And you gave a talk on male sexuality. And you made this statement that I just found really interesting. You said, quote, as I worked with male sexuality, I came to realize that men use sexuality. We use it to fulfill and meet deeper needs for acceptance and love and vulnerability. As a man who was born with one hand, I learned to use sexuality as a way to find acceptance and overcome my personal shame of having a body that was different. And we oftentimes pathologize men for using sexuality because we view sexuality as something that shouldn't be used in that way. I have to ask us, why not? So this is fascinating to me and was kind of a revelation for me. Talk about using sexuality mm-hmm. and the culture that and a culture that says that sexuality should not be used explore that some yeah you know both men and women get hit with this um they're uh you know for instance one of the best examples i mean think about the women that you hear about uh where people say oh she's just using sex to get attention and using sex to, to make her feel pretty or wanted. Well, yeah, right. But then the question is, well, what's, what's wrong with that? And, you know, this, this largely comes from spiritual uh, traditions. Um, The easiest is to describe, you know, uh, you know, Christianity, but but we see it in some Eastern traditions as well, where, for instance, you know, um, in some Asian traditions, uh, you know, uh, orgasm, particularly in men, um, depletes the the man of chi or, you know, re- reduces their chakra. And, and, and the man is supposed to r- retain semen in order to be more manly. Um, and only expel semen when, you know, the, the, the chance for procreation. And so that that's number one, procreation is, you know, the, the when we look at, quote, you know, what kind of sex is okay? Um, sex for procreation is number one. That sex, um, sex to, to reproduce and get pregnant, that's okay. People are okay with that. And then sex within love, sex with somebody that you're committed to. That's okay. Um, but you shouldn't, you know, like, 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 um, you shouldn't have sex with your partner to get them to do the dishes. That's not okay because that's not pure enough or virtuous enough. And, and then we get into this idea, well, that sex should only be when, you know, it is for love and communion and a, and, and a deep emotional bonding between people. And I think that's wonderful. It's beautiful. That kind of sex is fabulous. But I think it's a high bar. And certainly, you know, when we when we look at women versus men, 
and we look at the val- sexual values, one of the consistent findings um, across, you know, uh, probably about a hundred years of research at this point um, is that women tend to be more conservative when it comes to what kind of sex is okay. And sex for procreation, sex for love, sex within relationship are the three kinds of sex that women are more likely to find okay. And they're more suspicious and skeptical of any other kind of sex, including masturbation. Men tend to be more um, broad and view sex as, um, you know, sex as recreation, sex as, you know, entertainment, sex with, you know, um, sex for, you know, masturbation when you're bored. Men are more likely to view um, various um, kinds of sex as acceptable, which you know, makes sense kind of given some arguments around evolutionary, you know, sexuality and the idea that men, you know, would be more encouraged to procreate widely um, uh, in order to spread their genes. And then the, you know, women would be more conservative about who they mate with. Now that some of that research has, has come into question, but I saw a neat study the other day suggesting that bisexual men um, may actually confer a um an evolutionary advantage because bisexual men like gay men are more likely to uh be interested in casual or anonymous sex and less likely to use protection and and contraception so bi men who have some of those same values and attitudes would be more likely to reproduce because um they're not only having sex with men but having sex with women with those same values so that they may um, they may benefit from that just evolutionarily. Now, I think the the thing I think is 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 interesting though when we look at Christianity um, is that you know the the are the story and it's mostly true, right? Is that Kellogg you know invented Kellogg's cornflakes and Graham invented Graham crackers because these were bland foods that wouldn't trigger the desire for masturbation. It's not really that clear, though. It's simple. It's more that they viewed they viewed earthly pleasures as a temptation to distract us from contemplating the heavens, and that the more focused you were on physical pleasures or physical sensations, including sex or food, the less likely you were to be a virtuous person by thinking about God and heaven. And and so it's not so much that they thought, you know, spicy food. And I lived in I live in New Mexico. We got some spicy food here. It's not like they thought spicy food made you want to go out, go out and beat off. But they viewed indulging physical pleasures in any way as less valuable and important. That, I think, is really at root of a lot of people's views of using sex, that they view it as something special. Now, I do too. But as a clinical psychologist, I have to say sex is a behavior just like any other human behavior and holding it to different criteria might not be justified. And even if it is justified, it creates all these other problems. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why that statement that you made in that talk about using sexuality was so profound for me, and you also talk about this in your book, Ethical Porn for Dicks, is that 
sex is a it's a it's a tool almost that can be used for a wide range. It's a language. It it can be used to communicate play. It can be used to communicate love. It can be used to um as as recreation, as stress relief, as escape, as exploration of fantasy, dominance or submission, a way to explore vulnerability, a way to explore emotions that are not readily available to people Mm -hmm. in their day-to-day life right and and all of that falls outside a lot most of that falls outside of the range of of procreative lovemaking right and so i went through a hellaciously stressful uh period last year with uh, a job i lost a position it was very dear to me it was devastating um, my whole life was just kind of up in the air and I just kind of went wild on the internet for about three months mm-hmm. and, and I felt that, and, and fortunately my partner is just, he's, he's just wonderfully loving and accepting and great about all of this. And so there wasn't any relationship conflict there. Um, but I had, I had some dissonance. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until after I heard that talk and read your book that I realized, oh, what I'm what I'm doing is that I'm using sex for stress relief. Mm-hmm. And what's wrong with that? There's not actually anything in and of itself wrong with that. And that that was just such a profound moment for me and i consider myself a pretty sex positive person i i i consider i don't really have problems with porn i don't have you know i'm i'm pretty chill but i still had like that seed of dissonance in me that was causing some some challenges for me and and being able to just articulate it that clearly that simple statement we use sex why is that a bad thing um yeah yeah I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really, Clay, I'm really glad to hear, to hear that from you. And I, it feels, it, so it feels to me sometimes like, you know, Jesus Christ, this is so fucking obvious to me. Why, yes. why is it a surprise to other people? And I, a good friend of mine, you know, you mentioned jujitsu and a good friend of mine's a nurse practitioner and he's a, he's a fellow black belt and we train together pretty often. And, and one time we were talking about, talking about this and some of my work and, and I said, yeah, porn addiction, you know, in real. And, and he goes, well, you know, when I was in Afghanistan and, and on a fire base and, and he says, guys were, guys were, were beaten off till they were black and blue, um, watching porn. And I said, well, you know, just out of curiosity, was there anything that they were worried or stressed about? And he goes, well, yeah. I mean, they're they're in country in the middle of an armed conflict with people trying to kill them and blow them up. Oh, and, 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 you know, I was, I was just reviewing this research this morning. Um, It's not published yet. I can't really give the reference on it, but it's this massive study of a hundred thousand respondents from around the world around pornography use. And the research is looking at what are the predictors of people identifying problematic pornography use. And of the first five, one was frequency. 
but the next ones were using porn for to manage stress, using porn um, to deal with uh, depression, moral incongruence with pornography use, and sexual shame. So 80% of the top five explanations are about these emotional components. And, and, and this is the important stuff that we need to do because – I get it. There are guys like you, right, that are out there that are questioning their porn use and worried that they're watching too much porn and worried that there's something wrong. Now, that guy, you, Stephen, needs support in that moment. But right now, everybody's answer is it's the porn. Well, again, I'm a psychologist. And when I work with people in therapy, I want to understand what's inside them, not outside them. And to point at pornography is an externalizing answer. It's it's an external locus of control. When I work with guys, you know, again, I, I start I start trying to understand what's going on in your life. What what role is pornography playing? What function is it playing? I can't tell you how many guys I have sat down and assessed where I find out pretty quickly that this guy has OCD, diagnosed or undiagnosed. And watching pornography is one of the only times that some of the intense anxiety and compulsions and obsessions recede a little bit. And because being turned on shuts down some of that stuff. You know, again, evolutionarily, um, in a mother nature wanted us to reproduce and didn't want us worrying um, about things in a way that got in the way of fucking. And so, you know, worrying about a saber toothed tiger um, would get in the way of getting an erection and potentially mating and, 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 and reproducing. So that worry part of your brain kind of gets quiet when we're turned on. So, the thing is, though, it, all this stuff goes together for me because guys are much less likely to have an array of ways to deal with negative emotions um, compared to women in our society. You know, women and girls are taught from a young age to be able to express emotions, negative emotions to seek help for dealing with them, to talk about them. The only negative emotion guys are really allowed to express is anger. And we're not allowed to be vulnerable. We're not, if, if you need to ask for help for dealing with your emotions, you're just a pussy man. And that message is put out there. Well, you should be John Wayne. You don't have emotions. And so then guys find out that, you know, watching porn again, it, it distracts us from some of those internal negative emotions that we're struggling with. It turns them off for a little while. And because we don't have other strategies, we can start to over rely on it. We can start to overuse it. I, I do see people, I do see people where, yeah, I think they're overusing porn because they don't have other strategies. But the answer is not to take away the porn. The answer is not to shame them for using porn. Instead, the answer is to say, hey, 
can I give you some other tools to deal with your anxiety? Can I help you practice some other strategies to deal with your depression? You feel so much shame and in moral incongruence for the things you find sexually arousing. Can we talk about why that is? Where did you get those ideas? You know, you identify as a straight man, but when you quote, lose control, you're watching gay porn and then you feel guilty and ashamed about that. Can we talk about where you got your ideas and values about, about same-sex male attractions? And are you sure those ideas are right? Because, boy, you're sure making yourself suffer over them. Those are the things I want to unpack and explore. And guess what? They have very little to do with porn and everything to do with the person. Again, as a therapist, mm. I don't want to talk about the porn. I want to talk about the person. Yeah. You're what you were just saying about about dudes and our emotions. I that just took me back to this experience that I had a while recently where I I go I I went to a men's group um and it was a very structured organized thing and Holy shit, it was the most brutally uncomfortable experience I've had in a long time because it was presided over by like this old, sweet, gray-haired British man. And he was basically like, we're going to talk about our feelings now. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then and he, he said, and we're going to use primary emotional words. So he was like trying to give the men were emotional words to use. And then holy shit, these dudes just like zero with zero foreplay just started ripping off the fucking bandaid and talking about their deep, dark emotions. And it was incredible to notice my how uncomfortable mm -hmm. I was with that. And all of them were super uncomfortable, too. So all of these guys are just like sharing the most fucking raw shit mm -hmm. and i'm like jesus christ dude buy me a fucking drink first like, <laughs> but i i noticed that immense discomfort that mm -hmm. that guys have with and i noticed it i noticed it in myself mm -hmm. the, this just like huge discomfort of being able to talk about anything anything that's really bothering us in a way that isn't a joke right yeah. So so many guys resort to <clears throat> talking about really challenging things in their life uh, with with a veneer of humor or an armor mm -hmm. of humor that makes it kind of impenetrable. And yeah. Yeah. so, yeah, no, I am I am relating to everything that you're saying here. I, and along that same line, I mean, again, as I, as I work with guys, you know, around these, around these issues, you know, um, so, you know, when that therapist says, you know, we're going to use primary words, you know, okay. Well, one of the, one of the things that I explore often is that anger, um, is actually a secondary emotion. Okay. Um, any of my patients, you know, they're nodding their heads listening to this. Yes. David won't shut up about this. And <laughs> Anger is always a secondary emotion. Anger comes second. First, some other feeling happened. Fear, vulnerability, loss, and then we get angry. So again, anger is very often a way that guys hide that first emotion because we're not allowed to have that first emotion. It, it somehow makes us weak and... 
I, that's where I want to go. That That's where I want to dig into. Um, and guys are scared to do that. And one of the reasons that guys are scared of that is that they have spent their whole lifetime tamping that emotion down. And they're afraid that if they connect with it, like those guys in that group, that it will be an unstoppable flood that will take them over and that they will lose control. And, and they're terrified of that. And, and, and they're terrified that if they allow that to happen, that not only will they lose control, but they'll lose everything. They'll lose the people around them. Because guys, you know, when you ask a guy, you know, or when you explore a guy's self-worth, so much of it is wrapped up in what they do. And guys only gain value oftentimes by doing for others, by contributing to society, by, you know, having kids, by, by having a job, by, you know, producing. Um, this, this, this one um, uh, writer in the 70s, Herb, I forget his last name. Um, he wrote about masculinity. He talked about the blinders that, you know, the, the, the blinders that they put on horses so that the horse just pulls the plow and not, doesn't get distracted by anything aside. And Herb Goldberg, I think, um, says that that's the condition of many men is that they must ignore distractions, including inside themselves, in order to pull the plow and produce and take care of others. And guys are afraid that if they stop producing, if they stop having value, that they will lose. What will they lose? Connection with others. And you know, the, the, this research a few years ago um, found that men gain a sense of masculinity from giving their female partner orgasms. Now that the researchers, and they were all female researchers, they they held this up and they said, see, look, even when they are giving women orgasms and they're pretending it's selfless, it's actually selfish that the guy is feeling better about themselves by giving you the orgasm. So it's not even really about you. It's still about them. And I said, now, wait a minute. The guy knows that sex is one of the only places where he can get acceptance and body connection. Many people, guys especially, go through life touch-starved. And sex is one of the only places where they get to touch another person and be touched in this loving, warm, accepting way. And the guy knows if I'm not a good lover, to her, she's not going to want to be sexual with me again. And I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose connection and this opportunity to, to be accepted and to be touched. And, and I said to the researchers, I, I, I don't think you're adequately considering the role that sex plays in men's emotional functioning. 
So that again, it's it's how all this stuff goes together. And I, for me, and, and I know I sound like I'm, I'm kind of all over the place with some of this stuff, but to me, these threads connect. It's and, all integrated. Yeah. 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 So we have to look at the whole person and you have this term shiny sexual object syndrome or something like that yeah, where yeah. You sexy know, shiny object sexy syndrome, shiny yeah. object syndrome where and the basic idea is you know if there's any dysfunction that people are experiencing and sex is involved in any way we fixate on the sex when really what we have to do is look at the whole person and you know i sometimes think that people hear they read my writing about sexuality and they they might assume that because I am not against porn, then I must be for it. <laughs> just 100% pro porn either. Jesus Christ. I mean, Welcome that, to my life. Brother. Yeah. That's, and that's just not true. I mean, tr porn is like, porn is just too big. It's too comp. It, it, there, it, it's, it's a, it's a whole medium. It's complicated mm -hmm. and people can have real struggles with it. And I would never, ever deny that. So speaking of which, um, I want to pivot to to especially the online cultures surrounding male sexuality and porn. I've become incredibly worried about a lot of these guys. There are large communities, many of them with millions and millions of young men, especially guys who are teens and 20s, who see porn and masturbation as something to abstain from at all costs. And they talk about streaks and, you know, you have to get your streak. Yeah. They talk about rebooting. They talk about, you know, you have to rewire your brain. Um, and I lurk in a lot of these communities. I, mm -hmm. I, I lurk in a lot of these places. And um, to, to give a context of, of the mood in a lot of these places, within a single afternoon, there were three suicide announcements of, um, of guys saying, I relapsed, I hate yeah. myself, I suck, I'm going, I'm going to hang myself tonight. And then they just vanish from the forum. So very often that's the mood. And then, there's, and then it's, and it's also often very angry. It, they they express a lot of hatred, a lot of violence towards towards people who produce porn, towards even other men who watch porn, um, and then it's also paired with this triumphalist masculinity. It's it's often paired with with a veneration of heroism, um, and I think that that's okay. It is okay for guys to venerate heroism. A lot of young men strive for heroism, right. right? But it's about how it's contextualized. So I just want to run down a few of the claims that, that guys in these communities make. Claim number one, um, porn use causes erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Um, well, first, Stephen, I mean, I'm really glad you're talking about this and I'm glad you're, you know, recognizing this. Um, we, we, uh, Nikki Prowsey, a, a co-author, and I um, um, published a paper just a couple of months ago about I read the violence. It. I read it. It's, yeah. it, it's a good and yeah. really upsetting <laughs> paper. Yeah, it's yeah, and I mean, they these groups deny um, these claims so much that we finally had to put it down in writing, um, black and white, to to show the the violence, the misogyny, the rape threats, the racism, the 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 suicide encouragement the um uh you know i've i've seen men 
who, you know, castrated themselves or emasculated themselves, um, cut their penis or their testicles off in order to seek some level of control over yeah. their sexuality. And that's frightening. And yes. men in and these, men in these groups, you you mean? Men in these communities um, I, or just in, in general? I've seen them in just real in life. This is this is historically, unfortunately. Um and and I I, th I think all of us can say that's sad. So these communities are um, first. I mean, they're they're regurgitating, uh, you know, the same the same things that people have been saying for hundreds of years. That you know, masturbation will make you go blind. I mean, you know, Benjamin Rush said that. Benjamin Rush was a physician, signer of the Declaration of Independence. Um, on, I actually went and saw the Declaration of Independence a little while back, and and and, and went and found his signature. Benjamin Rush um, believed that masturbation um, was a sin and made you mentally ill. And um, he was the inventor of the, the belief that masturbation made you go blind. And we believe now that what Rush was actually seeing was the untreated effects of sexually transmitted infection like syphilis and gonorrhea. When they go untreated, they cause eye problems. And they cause cognitive disturbance um, that lead to disrupted social behavior, like public masturbation. So Rush was seeing an effect and thinking it was the cause. He was trying to connect right? the dots. Yeah. So the same thing is happening in these communities. So first, they're saying all this old stuff that's always been around, and they're just regurgitating this antiquated view of masculinity. But... Just like Rush. So they're seeing guys that are watching lots of porn and then struggling with erection when they go to have partnered sex. And they're saying cause and effect as opposed to considering the idea of correlation. And first, you know, this question has been scientifically um, evaluated now uh, more than a dozen times. I think we're really up to about 20 different research papers that have looked at this. And not found any evidence, not found any evidence that porn consumption predicts erectile issues, except in one group. Men who have higher levels of sexual shame are more likely to report erectile dysfunction associated with pornography use. Okay. Because the pre-Viagra, we thought erectile dysfunction in young men was very uncommon. Why? Because erectile dysfunction was shameful, so guys didn't admit to it. After Viagra, um, and there's a great movie called Love and Other Drugs about when Viagra first came out. It's a Anne great Hathaway. movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and you see all these people all of a sudden, now that there's this drug that works, all of a sudden people are raising their hands. After Viagra, we started finding out that there are lots of young men who report erectile dysfunction, and the predictors of erectile dysfunction in these young men are, in order, anxiety, obesity, um, other medications and drugs, and limited sexual experience. And and now there's this also there's also this remarkable research that finds that men who have any form of sexual dysfunction. Premature ejaculation, delayed ejaculation, erectile dysfunction are far more likely, five times more likely to experience symptoms of those uh, of those issues during partnered sex compared to masturbation. Why? Well, 
you don't have to worry about saying something wrong to the internet. It's not going to reject you. You don't have to buy the internet dinner for it to put out. You don't have to worry about giving the internet an orgasm. <laughs> with you don't have to porn, find the internet's clit. Yeah. Yes. With internet porn, you get to sit back and relax. You get to be kind of selfish in a, in a not bad way. In partnered sex, you have to pay attention to your partner. You have to try and listen to them and listen to their body. You have to restrain your urges. So remember, we're talking about young men with limited sexual experience and high levels of anxiety. So now they start to get nervous during that partner and sex experience. And the, the cure for an erection is worry about getting an erection. The more you worry about getting an erection, the less it's going to happen. And so then they spiral in this anxiety. And so when I see these guys, and I see a lot of them, and I say, welcome to the amazing world of non-dick-centered sex. You know, focus, what if you said to your partner, look, what if I didn't get an erection? How would you like me to touch you and please you? Now we're increasing competence and sexual confidence. We're now giving them skills. A watch pot never boils. And by taking the pressure off the penis, it creates an opportunity for the penis to, to, to now function or function with an erection because soft penises can still have orgasms. But again, it's not about the porn. And sadly, the more these groups focus on the idea that porn is causing erectile dysfunction, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because again, the more these guys read this, this myth that porn use is causing an erectile dysfunction is causing erectile dysfunction, the more they're gonna worry about that. And the more they worry about it, guess what? Yeah. Absolutely. I and and the thing is it's insidious because it's almost like a religion. The the the, the more the, the the more you try not to be a bad person, the worse person you are and the only cure for it is to come to church. And so they create these 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 frankly cult-like beliefs in these highly insecure males that are just hungry for answers and hungry to be a kind of man that a woman would want. But what they get fed is poison. Yeah. You know what, what first got me interested in this subject. So I, sacred tension is generally about religion, um, both the newsletter and the podcast. So I cover a lot of religious topics. I, I find it so fascinating. And one of the things that fascinates me the most is, is online new religious movements. And I think that a lot of these communities are new religious movements. Mm -hmm. And I was investigating a tangential community, not really similar to, uh, not, not really one of these kind of reboot kind of communities that these guys are in, but it was, it was related exploring various kinds of spirituality. And I take a very hands-on approach to these investigations, so I, I tend to do the things. I try to immerse myself in the experience. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, but this was particularly surrounding, um, this was particularly surrounding uh, uh, spirituality, prostate orgasm, et cetera, and, and refraining from penile stimulation and porn. Um, and one of the requirements for this community was to go through a period of abstinence from both porn and masturbation for 30 days. So I was like, all right, I'll try that. Um, and I 
fell flat on my fucking face on like day three. And I experienced something that I had not experienced in years, which was shame. Mm-hmm. I and I'm and that was so interesting to me because that was a very une, that was an unexpected emotion for me. Like and the reason was I had set myself a goal mm-hmm. and I had failed it. And suddenly it was framed as you weren't strong enough. You didn't have enough willpower. And it that made me really interested in these particular communities because it's it's all it's the satin setting that mm-hmm. is creating so much of this shame. Satin setting coming from psychedelics, the the mindset and the physical setting that one is in that creates the internal experience that one is having. And so let's pivot to another claim that these communities make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the human brain is not made is not designed for just this onslaught of sexual arousal and naked bodies that the internet provides us and that that huge onslaught you know the you're being exposed to to more sex and nudity and beautiful bodies than even the world's most powerful god emperor even more than you know the king of babylon would have been exposed to and that flood is rewiring the brain in really destructive ways because the human brain just is not designed for that yeah, I mean, really interesting, you know, kind of hypothesis, hypothesis and theory. Um, I'd love to see some data testing that, and 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 how would you do that? So, for instance, like imagine, I'd love to see, I'd love to see a brain study that compared brain activity during partnered sex brain activity during masturbation with sexual fantasy, brain activity while reading erotica, or brain activity while watching pornography. Doesn't exist. But you would would think, because there is this idea, again, that your brain is working differently or getting hijacked by pornography like like some of these folks even call it quote a super normal or a supra normal stimulus this idea that our 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 brains can get again tricked by these evolutionarily strong stimuli that we're not prepared to deal with and they they analogize it to like high fructose corn syrup and stuff like that but first analogy is the weakest form of argument um, analogies are as distracting and deceptive as they are useful, you know, is a banana like an apple? Um, yeah, they're both fruit, but one's red, one's yellow. You can eat the skin of one. You can't eat the skin of other. Are, 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 are they, are they alike or not? Depends. So there's no evidence that our brains are working differently when we masturbate to pornography than um, any other kind of form of sexual behavior with a couple of a couple of, of exceptions. One, um, some research looked at um, orgasm in men when they masturbate looking at 
pornographic magazines versus masturbate to fantasy. And interestingly, this was done in sperm clinics, right? Because if you go into a sperm clinic to donate, you need to be able to get it up in, in orgasm. So they want to make it more efficient. And what they found was that masturbating with pornography did not increase volume of sperm in ejaculate, but did increase the speed with which the men got sexually aroused did increase the strength of their orgasm. Um, and so porn is a sexual arousal enhancing tool the same way that a vibrator is for a lot of women. Um, you know, after I wrote Ethical Porn for Dicks, um, uh, a guy uh, in Mormon, in, in Utah, a Mormon husband read the book and he came back to me with that comment. He said, I now realize that porn is an arousal enhancing tool, just like my wife's vibrator is from. And, and I said, God damn, I wish you'd told me that before I finished the book. Right. I would have put that in. Um, the thought example that I give to men is imagine that you were trapped on a deserted island and you didn't have any porn or internet connection, but you had all the coconut oil that you wanted, right? How quickly do you think you'd be able to get aroused and successfully orgasm to fantasy without, without porn. And I, and I tell guys, yeah, it might take a week or two, but pretty quickly, you're not going to be reliant on that tool. Now I know a lot, I know a lot of men, younger men who have never masturbated without porn present because it's easy. I get it, but they worry that they've broken themselves. Here's the message that I have to these guys and to these guys that are saying, you know, your, your, your brain wasn't designed um, for this. They are implying that our sexuality and our sexual arousal patterns are fragile and that they can be broken and interrupted easily. That you and your sexual arousal is a heartbeat away from being broken. But if our sexual arousal, if our sexuality was so fragile, so easily disrupted, we wouldn't be here. Yes. We would have been wiped the fuck out. We are yes. such we are human beings have been around for hundreds of millions of years. <laughs> we are a resilient species. Resilient. And our sexuality, I believe, is the most resilient, multiply influenced, overdetermined aspect of human uh, of human psychology and biology. Yes. Um which is why I say you can't evaluate sexuality without evaluating the whole person. Um, but also why I say, you know, these people that are telling you, be afraid. There's a reason they're doing that. They're manipulating you. Um, in fact, I mean, I think, you know, I see aliens behind you. Is that, is that a laser disc of it? Oh, that's the poster of Alien, the the movie. Yeah, Alien. okay. I, yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't sure if it was a laser disc or, or yeah, yeah, poster. So yeah, there there was a promo when it came out. Be afraid. 
Yes. <laughs> and and I, I quote that often because when people tell you to be afraid, they're manipulating. They know that your fear is going to make you vulnerable to them now giving you the answer and the answer serves them. Um, I, when I see men that identify as sex addicts or porn addicts, mostly men, very, you know, a few women identify this way, but what I hear is a person who is saying, I, I'm afraid of my sexuality. I'm not sure I can trust myself with my sexuality. I worry that my sexuality would lead me to make decisions that I would regret. I'm afraid that my sexual fantasies mean there's something wrong with me or I'm broken or I'm dangerous. I saw a young man who um, he'd been raised in a, in a highly feminist um, family. Um, the thing that turned him on the most was uh, videos of face fucking where, you know, um, kind of rough oral sex. And he was afraid that the fact that that turned him on made him a rapist. He'd never engaged in sexual assault. He was a trustworthy guy. He knew what consent was. He, he was not interested in violating it. He didn't want to hurt anybody. But he was afraid that that turning him on meant he was a bad guy. And I told him, I'm not afraid of that for you. And I said, you know, your job now is just to find a woman that's into that. And guess what? There's lots of them out there. And not to engage in that behavior without consent. Oh, I can do that. <laughs> and we're good to go, man. So... What I encourage guys and your listeners and frankly, everybody I talk to is you don't have to be afraid of your sexuality. Um, everybody is insecure about their sexuality because we think that there's something different about us. But the reality is most people out there have sexual secrets be, and that they keep secret because they're afraid of rejection. I know that most people out there that have fantasies of things that I would consider dangerous. Most people never engage in those behaviors because they don't want to hurt people. And fantasy is always legal, always safe, yeah. always consensual, and always free of bodily harm when it exists in the theater of the of the mind, of the imagination. Yeah, in the theater of the mind. Now, the, now the sad thing is... Um, you know, amidst this modern social sexual war and panic, um, we are seeing people now go to jail for sharing fantasies and sexual ideas that other people don't want you to have. Even when there's no victims, even when it's just words on a page, you know, there are people in, in jail now because of that. Because again, we're being told that Humans can't be trusted to have thoughts about sex that we don't want them to have. Be afraid. Yeah. I reject that. Yeah. You know, it it just brings home <clears throat> it just brings home for me the importance of uh embracing resilience as as just an overarching theme for life. Like sexuality is resilient, you are resilient. Um whoever is listening to this is more resilient than they think they are. That doesn't mean that they won't suffer. That doesn't mean that we don't have a really, really hard time sometimes. But if we go into this with resilience and mindfulness um, and curiosity, that 
transforms the experience. It alchemizes mm-hmm. it into something that can be uh, life-giving. If guys strive for heroism, that is truly the heroic path, is to, um, is to take a resilient mindset and, and to remove that armor of, of shame and fear and approach their sexuality mindfully and with curiosity. Mm-hmm. That, that takes real courage in this culture. That takes real strength. It does. I mean, we don't, we don't talk about the positive sides of male sexuality um, enough. We don't talk mm-hmm. about the, you know, the positive sides of masculinity, frankly enough. Um, yes. The, you know, I, unfortunately, most times when we hear about sexuality and particularly male sexuality, it's when somebody did something bad. It's we hear we hear about sexual offenses far more than we hear about sexual successes, which is sad. Um, I ask folks, uh, you know, who's your sexual role model? Women and gay men can often answer that question more than heterosexual men because heterosexual men, you know, they may they may make a joke, you know, about, you know, some porn star or something. But but I ask men to think about. What kind of sexual being do you want to be? If you integrate your sexuality into your identity and sense of self, what part of yourself do you want your sexuality to reflect? Um, One of the things we're talking about a lot now is we we used to talk about sex being healthy based on what it was. Sex outside marriage was unhealthy. Sex within marriage was healthy. Homosex was unhealthy. Heterosex was healthy. Um, penis and vagina sex was was healthy. Any other kind of sex, anal sex, oral sex, was sodomy and unhealthy. But now we're talking about it's not what you do, but how you do it. Um, the principles of sexual health. Honesty, consent, mutual pleasure, shared values, safety from pregnancy or STI, and non-exploitation. So when I when I see people who were worried about their sexuality, those are the things I start asking. Any lies here? Any lack of safety? Any exploitation? And when it comes to porn, sometimes guys are worried about, well, you know, I'm worried that the the people in the porn I watch are being exploited. Oh, welcome to the amazing world of ethical porn. Yes, exactly. Now you get to make sure that the people you're watching consented and benefit mm-hmm. um, from you watching. You know, pay for your porn. And and again, it moves us inside the person. It moves us away from this external, let's look at this act and whether whether this is good or bad. And instead, let's now have a mature, sophisticated conversation about how you do this. Hmm. Can you do it in a healthy and responsible way? And let's figure that out. Absolutely. One last really quick question before we wrap up here. Uh, you talk about sexual role models for men, and I absolutely love that. And you're right. Most men that I know don't have sexual role models. I don't know if I, I can I actually, I, you're right, because, you know, gay men do tend to have 
more access to to this than straight men. I can think of maybe one or two who have been sexual role models for me, um, kind of, <laughs> but not mm-hmm. not really clearly. Um, but I wanted to ask who who are your sexual role models and in what way? You know, um, I've had a lot of them over, over my life when I started thinking about this, right? You know, um, Barack Obama, for instance. I mean, you know, do we know much about his sexuality? We really don't. But, you know, he's an athlete. Um, uh, when I see him dance with Michelle Obama, I think to myself, I bet he's a good lover because he is paying attention to her. He's kind. He's gentle. He's in c- control of his body. He's he he's focused on her in a very respectful way. Um I think about like Miley Cyrus, you know, Miley Cyrus, you know, grew up as the suppressed Disney gal and then has come out and said, fuck you all. I'm going to be the sexual being I want to be. She was getting blackmailed over nude photos that somebody had that they were going to publicize. And she said, well, screw you. And she she posted them. Yeah, that's badass. That's punk rock. Um, (laughs) I there was a um, I, I used to be very kind of judgmental and sort of close minded about 24 seven, you know, BDSM master slave relationships. And I, I thought these were fiction. I thought that these were pretty, pretty likely to be kind of unhealthy. Um, and then I stayed for a weekend in San Francisco with a couple, um, friends of mine that gay men that I found out had been in a master slave relationship for 20, 25 years, and they created it before it was even a thing. Hmm. They were the most loving, kind, deeply emotionally connected, monogamous couple that I've ever seen to date. The the gentleness and the caring of the master to his husband and, and slave partner was breathtaking. And I looked at that and I said, whoa, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. You just taught me something. And it was so deeply masculine in this caring, compassionate way. And right there, they became a role model for me. Mm. I love that. Dr. David Lay, thank you so much for joining me. This has been great. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for reading, and and I'm so glad we connected. Thank you for the work you do. I mean, um, men don't get the chance to hear or think about this stuff enough, and people like you are out there inspiring that. So thank you. Awesome. That's great to hear. All right. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by 11D7. The theme song is Wild. You can find it on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. This show is made possible by my patrons at sacredtension.substack.com. There will be a link in the show notes. Uh, If you love my work, if you want to see it continue, then do please subscribe. And if you're able, please become a paying subscriber. That really, really helps, and you get access to extra content every single week, Um, uh, an extra show, uh, my guided meditations, and uh, an extra article every week. So you get a ton of awesome stuff. And um, this show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long. And as always, stay curious. And thanks for listening.